0: Welcome to episode 137 of the highly relevant podcast my name is jack rico and i am in quarantine how are you guys (laughs) oh man what a crazy moment we are all all going through this is one of those moments that i think we're all connected because we all know exactly what each one of us is going through the the fact that you can't leave home and the challenges and the frustrations Uh, Around that, but the way the world has changed and the new things we've had to learn, and a reappreciation for the little things is what a lot of people are also experiencing. And so we're kind of like dealing with a new language, like a new way of life. And these things can be very crazy at first. Like when I started teaching back in January, uh, that curve was getting better week by week. Um, it's not easy at first. It's you know you you prepare, you prepare You're stressing. You're anxious, making sure that everything is great. But then when all that's taken away, and it's just like really you and yourself, there's moment for reflections. There's moment to ground yourself and kind of recalibrate uh, the things that maybe didn't matter as much. So we have some good things that have come out of this you know mostly it's been bad but there's been some good things out of this Uh, a unification a global unification to a certain extent and so I think that the most that we can all do is just try and stay healthy as much as we can which means a lot of physical distancing and if you feel sick you know isolate yourself but let's kill this thing once and for all and it takes all of us to chip in to make that happen So on this week's episode, I'm talking to Jesse Torero, Dominican-American director. If you're from New York, you know who Jesse Torero is. He was the guy that you all aspire to be like, to make music videos, to hang out with all the celebrities, Um, and he was not an actor, he's not a singer, he's a director, but he's a director who was making dreams come true and who was visualizing them for us for so long. So here's a guy that has been a role model for many filmmakers, directors, trying to aspire to get to where he's at. And so... He's in quarantine. I believe it's in Puerto Rico. We had a great conversation about life in quarantine when Hollywood was going to come back and start creating movies again. We talked about why there hasn't been the first reggaeton movie done by a Hollywood studio like Universal Pictures or Columbia Pictures. How come this hasn't happened? He talks about the challenges uh, inside the negotiating rooms to make something like this happen, which is extremely difficult Uh, from um, a lot of what he's experienced. We also talked about, can you be a virtual director nowadays? Is that something that will become a trend moving forward? He doesn't think so. And then we also talked about low-tech versus high-tech. So many people right now are like enamored with the low-tech way of uh, seeing content. But for me particularly, I think it's a novelty. Uh, He has his own opinions on it. So, It's a great chat, great conversation, a lot of wisdom uh, in this uh, interview that you're going to be listening to with Jesse Torero. But before I talk to Jesse Torero, it's time I give you my weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Movie theaters won't reopen until the major cities like New York and LA reopen first. Warner Brothers in the Heights postponed until 2021. The New York Film Festival is optimistic that their September event will go ahead. Universal Pictures and Lego agreed to a five-year exclusive partnership to create new movie franchises. In TV news, Aubrey Plaza joins the cast of FX's new animated comedy Little Demon. Mario Lopez returns as Slater in new Saved by the Bell show on Peacock. Apple TV Plus releases the definitive Beastie Boys documentary, and Paramount Pictures is doing weekend virtual screenings and people are liking it. Switching over to music, One World Together at Home delivers over 270 million viewers worldwide. Lin-Manuel Miranda joins an all-star virtual Stefan Sondheim birthday concert. Rosalia had her own quarantine karaoke party just by herself. And the Rolling Stones released new single and new music video called Living in a Ghost Town. And in tech and social media news, ESPN and FS1 will air Major League Baseball Players' video game eSports season. Apple acquires Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd's limited TV series based on a podcast. More than 12 million people attended the Travis Scott's Fortnite concert, and Zoom grows to 300 million users despite security backlash. How's it going, man? How
1: are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, inside the house like everyone in the world.
0: Where, where is where is home nowadays?
1: Well, home is, is Los Angeles, but um, I'm working on the new series, so I spent the last seven months in Puerto Rico. And right before they shut everything down, I came out to the Dominican Republic. So i am actually been here for quarantine in Punta Cana.
0: Got it. Now, explain to me how it is that a creator such as yourself is living in a moment that he can't create.
1: I, I'm at, I, uh, You know, see, the, the thing is, is that we can create the things, we can't execute them. That's the difference. Uh, <laughs> right? so, There's a difference. So, Yeah, because I'm creating every day. I actually have created more concepts and ideas during the quarantine than I have in a long time. How do you explain right? that? So most of, Because most of my work is, is writing, right? It's coming up with the ideas, building out a deck, building out a pitch, and then, you know, taking it to, um, to buyers, right? And then then you have to actually execute. So I'm not able to film anything. But, you know, for me, business has still been moving forward because, you know, I have projects with some of the streamers. So we're still in development phases and we've taken this time to work on the screenplay, work on the ideas, work on the concepts and build new ideas. We're still taking pitch meetings over Zoom. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of things that, would have waited because you know i'm finishing a tv series now would have waited till that series was over to get my attention again so now we've utilized this time to you know actually do some of the work that i wasn't able to do so i'm you know still creating so for me you know um i've been focusing on the positive part of it
0: absolutely now what about the execution um what's the word in your circles about when you guys can go back to production and implement these concepts and ideas into reality?
1: You know, I think people are, you know, people are uh, wishing for the best, right? So there's um, some of the companies that I'm working with are thinking that, you know, we're going to be back to work in June. Um, they think that, you know, some life is going to start to function. They just don't know what we're, we're what it's going to look future. like, right? Yeah, like uh, like, you know, what are the rules? So, you know, I've gotten letters from the DGA and things like that that they're, you know, making proposals to the state and to the government and saying, hey, maybe there's a new approach to production in the sense of everybody wears masks. Oh, interesting. Take them off right before they shoot. I, I I like I don't know, right? It's all speculation. But if 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 we're gonna be allowed for certain people to return to business, but the biggest issue is the combination of too many people in one group, right? That's part of what film production is. Right? Right? It's a lot of people together in one space. So, you know, we have to figure out you know, how they allow us to go back to work. In terms of like a a, a, um, series that I'm doing now, I'm pretty much done. You know, I have one day of shooting that only requires two actors as a small makeup, really of a close-up of one actor speaking to the other. So we should be able to knock out once they, you know, open the doors and the rest of it is just a couple of us sitting in the room and mixing and mastering the, the project. So we should be okay then. But, you know, everybody's concerned, you know, every, everybody's concerned because we don't know what's next. You know, we, 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 don't know, um, nobody's, you know, especially on the film side has given us any, you know, any insight to how film production is going to continue after this.
0: Right. Do you, do you think that virtual direction is feasible?
1: You know, I've seen people do it on the music video stuff, you know, where sometimes, you know, something happens last minute and the artist is not, can't make it and the director's in a different country and they've done it virtually, you know, through FaceTime and mm-hmm. things like that. Is it the, is it the same thing? No. Did <laughs> you achieve a product? Yes. Right. right. You know, if you have the right team and people on the ground and, you know, things are thought out properly, depending on the scale of what it is, I think that um, that it can be done, virtual directing, but, you know, the rest of what goes into it, it's like, are you just going to eliminate one person out of the equation? Because you still need camera, you still need the crew, you still need things, right? Right. Like, you can create levels of different types of content, but what, you know, now you're not creating, you know, a television series at that level without help, right? That's so, true. You, you know, so you're going to need interaction with people, whether it's hair and makeup, whether, you know, people are going to have to interact. So the question is, how do you approach that? You know, like right now where I'm at in the community, they check your temperature and you go to the supermarket. Wow. And if you have a fever, they won't let you in. So what I'm saying is that maybe it's something like that where, you know, people are asked they're safe not to come to work. If yeah, I, any, I've, you
0: know, I've, I've heard of this casta system that they're trying to implement where it, it's regulated. Like there's a, there's a group of people that can go back to work because they're either immune to the COVID or they've managed to outlive it, you know, uh, or something. So there's going to be like a small workforce going back, but... No one knows that. That's an experiment, you know. That's like a whole test. So that that puts people, you know, in, in a very precarious state.
1: Yeah. So you know, we're we're you know, Cinema Giants. You know, that my company. We're 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 trying to think of uh, creative ways to combat certain things. And I think, look, there are approaches to get things done. You know, but <laughs> you know, you're not going to be able to shoot, shoot a, a full episode of a, of, a, of, a, of a of a of a gigantic series. Without help,
2: you right? Know,
1: so you know, yes, you can shoot minimal things. You can come up with new ways, but you know, from a creative level, we already are accustomed to a certain level of production and a certain level of quality and a level of filmmaking that we aspire to watch and and to create. So, so that's going to be hard because you know it's not a, a one man show. You know, it's a it's a team effort. So, do you um, production, think? Design,
0: so, do you? Know you... Right. So do you think that this new embracement of low tech is just a fad, is just the moment?
1: No, I think low tech is going to get embraced, but by who, right? Because we already have things that are low tech, right? If you look out into the content world, every influencer, every social media star is using what you would call low Low tech. tech. You're right. So the reason that, you know, Netflix is popular, Amazon, Apple or different streamers is because they're doing highbrow, high tech stuff. Right. And and the separation from you looking at Instagram or your social media, right. Or TikTok, because if that's what you wanted, you already have celebrities on TikTok. Right. In in low tech stuff, you know, but you want to see Will Smith on the big screen or. Leonardo DiCaprio, you want to see him in a Martin Scorsese film, you don't want to see him low tech in his house.
0: So where would you categorize Nicky Jamel Ganador? High brow, middle brow, low brow? For, for who is this Nicky Jam el Ganador for and where would you rank it? Well,
1: you know, we made it as a Netflix original, so our intention was to make something that felt a little more high brow in the sense of Latino content that existed in the market, right? We have, uh, and this is not, I'm not trying to knock the novella system, but for many years we were given, you know, we weren't given enough different sort of um, types of media, right? So all the television was driven in this country by novella, right? And the novellas are very reminiscent to soap operas in America, right? It's the same kind of vibe, but in America we have the soap operas, then we have, you know, daytime television, then we have nighttime television, then we have, cable we have all these different formats you know and in the hispanic market you lacked a lot of different levels of uh, filmmaking right so you did have now when you look at you know cinema you have a lot of the sort of mexican and latino directors sort of winning and leading the brigade and sort of doing highbrow stuff on the television side you did have some stuff but not enough right so for me, it was like doing something that was a step away from, like, sort of no, no, novella genre and something that felt like it had more of the American sensibility. It's Spanish language, but shot with American sensibility. There is
0: this perception that American quality content is better than Spanish language or Hispanic content. Is that a myth
1: or is that real? I mean, I would say, it all. you know, it depends. You can't just, you know, put that one stereotype across uh across everything because you know there will be filmmakers that will say that that's not true right that there's a lot of incredible films and incredible tv coming out of the latin market the thing is is i'm talking about what's been dominating right so people when you look at just like the masses and what's been dominating people have over they consume the novella content and and because the novella content is made in studio in a certain way like soap operas are made in america they weren't they kept the system the same and, and the quality of the novellas, even though it progressed a little bit, has remained the same for the last twenty years. That's and true. even when you look at sort of even when you look at color scale and talking about the color of the Latinos on, 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 on screen, right? So you have, you know, it's almost like this generic look that they've given Latinos <laughs> where they all are right. and they look a certain way. It was it was maybe Two years ago, when they did Celia Cruz or one of these things at Telemundo, it was the first time you saw that many dark people on a, on a novella. So to me, it's, it's about breaking those stereotypes. It's about doing something different, right? So it's for me, it's it's, uh, it's um, what happened in hip-hop, right? Hip-hop became one of the biggest sort of the listen to music globally. And at the time, hip-hop didn't have content that looked and felt like the music, right? So that spawned an era where you had movies like Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society and Juice, and you had all these urban movies coming out that mimicked the sound of the music. Mm-hmm. And it captured what it felt like for young americans in that time. Right now, we're dealing with a similar time where we have reggaeton um, music that's the number one music globally and is breaking records around the world, you know, Despacito being the number one video of all time, crushing records, right? So you know that people are consuming this music in Spanish, but there's not one television show, one sitcom, one film. There's nothing that goes with the content that mirrors what's happening, right, in pop culture. Why that is that? Why, why is that? Because the people making the content, it's almost like when you look at Nicki Jam, you can't see that on any platform that's playing Latin content. You can't see that on the dominant land because it's too urban. And there's a stigma behind urban. Yeah, there's a stigma. It's like, we know that the music is big. That's why, the same way hip-hop was big, right? But then hip-hop gets so big that sometimes the brands want to be, but they get scared, right? Because they're like, whoa, this is too edgy for our brand, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So reggaeton and the look and the feel, when you you look at El Ganador, the Spanish is not perfect. It's edgy, it's urban, it's street. You know, it's reminiscing the way the music feels. But when you see it on that level, that type of screen, it's like, whoa, it's a little bit shocking because it's such a uh, it's 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 so distant than the things that you're accustomed to seeing on Latin television where all the Latinos look like perfect. That's true. Right. So what, you know, I was trying to do is like, you know, it's time you have to shake the ground a little bit. You got to understand, you know, this is a new generation. You know, there are these young kids out there that are not seeing themselves on screen they're not seeing themselves in television They're not seeing they're not being portrayed the right way and so Nikki had such a compelling story that this was the first time that I had something that I felt was that that, had, that I could apply the storytelling to mm. that felt real that wasn't just some generic story about you know in in the world of that music but it was something that that anybody could relate to you know, and the fact that Nikki was an American kid who was born in the, in America then had to go, his consequences led him to Puerto Rico and then had to learn the language. You know, I felt like a lot of people could relate to Nicky, mm. you know, and the struggles that were happening in America at the time, you know, no matter what race, you know, and the poverty when drugs came in, you know. So that story really mimics what a lot of uh, uh, the the immigrants were feeling in the U.S., that were coming in the african americans were feeling the latinos were feeling you know the lower class was feeling you know a lot of their parents were dealing with this pain during that time you know and Nikki's is an example of coming from one of the worst places and being able to rise out of the flames so you know it was a, it was a story that for me yes has the latin faith but it was universal and it was a story i can tell that i felt that everybody feel from an American standpoint and a global standpoint and you know the the success globally was really strong for the show.
0: Where do you see the potential of reggaeton going in the future? When are we going to have the first mainstream reggaeton movie by Warner Brothers? Uh, We've seen samples of it with Trolls World Tour recently where they had a whole sequence just on reggaeton. Uh, obviously, we're starting to see Jimmy Fallon pick up on the reggaeton uh, style. He embraces Lin Manuel Miranda. I, uh, somehow, I think I think Jimmy Fallon thinks he's Puerto Rican sometimes. Yeah, but you know, you, you know, you, Jimmy Fallon,
1: you know, is always forward thinking, right? So absolutely, Jimmy Fallon understood early. Bad bunny and these nobody puts anybody on television if they don't think they're drawing ratings. absolutely right? so their, their, their data is is letting them know that these kids mean a lot at this current time in, in in the world right so and in the us right so I think I think what you're saying is going to happen sooner than later. I have a couple of projects in development that are living in that world there is
0: no reggaeton television series there is no reggaeton film. There is no reggaeton, there isn't even a definitive reggaeton
1: documentary. Exactly, and I think that that's where Mickey Jam came in. You know, I've been fighting that fight for years, and Mickey Jam was the first one I was able to get over the hump, you know, because Netflix and, and, and um, the, you know, Netflix is brave to take a chance, right, where there's no, some, there, since the shows don't exist, there's no data. Right. So when you go to the bigger studios, they're looking at you like, "Whoa, and they're not sure if these movies are going to work. And then the authenticity of the movie scares people. Right. Because mm. they get from an authentic standpoint, is a Puerto Rican driven music. Right. That sort of spread across the world. And yes, you have J Balvin and Maluma and guys that are in Colombia that are rocking. But the majority, 70 percent of that music is Puerto Rican. So right. it, when you want to cast a shoe like this and you want to cast a film like this and you want to put an all-point cast like I did for Nicki Jam, that's not going to fly anywhere because people are going to be like, whoa, you can't do that. you got to mix the cast because it's got to be more universal. And the minute you do that, you mess with the authenticity oh, of, yeah. of, of what you're trying to do. Absolutely. right. You and, betray and, it. And, and it's like hip-hop. It. It, so Nicki Jam was a big struggle, a big fight. Netflix stood behind me and the choices that I made and let me make it authentic. Let me cast 90% Puerto Ricans. You know, and of course, the Colombian characters when he was in Colombia, but every everything was authentic to who the the who who the characters are supposed to be. And that's tough because that's like, that is like making an urban hip-hop movie in, in Atlanta and everybody has like urban slang that doesn't always translate. <laughs> right. Some of the slang in them, some of the... Some of the slang in the movie is, is heavy, you know, and and we had to put out these like funny um videos when we uh, originally launched global to like tell people what certain words meant, you know. But that's what is cool to the kids. That's what's fresh. They want when they watch Mickey Jam, it sounds like when they're hearing an interview with Mickey Jam or or Daddy Yankee or any of these artists because it, it, it's the same voice, right? So I wanted to make sure that I captured a voice. You know, I'm Dominican-American. So I grew up in a culture where I listened to hip-hop and I listen to reggaeton music and salsa merengue all at the same time. And for years, I've always looked at it, and I was like, man, there's, there's nothing that appeals to somebody like me that has those sensibilities. You know, so I've been, you know, you know, that's been part of the mission statement for Cinema Giants, is to create content for this world of urban Latinos God sometimes lives in different English and Spanish and in in sort of this bilingual world that that that's cool. And you know the one of the things to answer your question a while back why it hasn't been done is because every year I used to pitch these ideas. I used to go to the studios. How can you make an idea like this with a studio, an American studio, in Spanish? Right? They want to make right. it in English. And then it's not authentic because the music's all in Spanish. So there is a hybrid version of this, but everybody was afraid of it because they're like, mm. "Whoa, this thing's in Spanish!" Like, you know, go talk to our international department or go talk, to go talk, because this is not a mainstream movie. And I and I would tell them, "Hey, these guys are selling out arenas in the U.S. Madison Square Garden, American Airlines, the Staples Center. They're not. I'm not talking about guys that are just performing overseas." But the audience is here, it's home, it's right here, right? But now when you look at the success of things like Narcos, right,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and shows that are that are put on different platforms that are bilingual, and now America's going, wow, people are consuming content in Spanish, they have no issue with, with, with a bilingual show, and um, they're overly consuming the music. Now there's some people that are willing to take a chance and say, hey, Let's try to put this out. We can actually put a Spanish-language movie out in the U.S. for for a mainstream audience. So it's slowly happening. But, you know, like anything, I pray and I hope that, you know, there's a lot of directors, producers, writers that have the right sensibility in this space and that I hope that they choose the right people because if not, we're going to have a lot of generic movies that are going to, (laughs) like, not be authentic to the culture. And you know how that happens.
0: Absolutely, Jesse Torero, director of "Nicky Jam El Ganador," currently on Netflix. Jesse, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, man.
1: Appreciate it.
0: And before I wrap up here, here three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this quarantine weekend. Ahorita, Ivancito.
2: Uh, uh, siempre termine- used to Coachella? Like
0: love. Coachella, reina. In too deep. Katsu Oso. And that's it for episode 137 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Jesse Torero for dropping by the show. And if you like to support this podcast, tell all your friends that this is an episode worth listening to. You can also reach me on Instagram at jackrico and my Facebook page at JackRico4. Wishing you a safe and healthy staycation. I'm Jack Rico. See you next time on another episode of Highly Relevant.